Hey kids, I'm Jax, and thanks so much for joining me on this night's episode of Here for the Booze. Movies so bad, they're good. Tonight, we're going to keep things much lighter than the last two episodes, and shorter. (laughs) Before we dive in, a quick reminder that this season will be 20 episodes. Yes, 20. Don't forget to catch up on Apple Podcasts and, you know, get ready for the season to wrap up in, you know, a couple months. So it's been a crazy ride and a fun one. <clears throat> and I appreciate everybody listening and wanting to experience horror in a different light. And I hope that this episode also shows you that these are bad movies and that's okay. I know that <laughs> lots of us know that. And I think when people think of horror, they think of the worst movies the ones that are really bad or just don't make any sense you know I mean I know people that just don't like scream they think that that's a bad horror movie I don't think so they're crazy but that's all right (laughs) for my drink tonight it's just a regular vodka soda sorry guys this pandemic has made me a boring drinker I just you know I like what I like (laughs) all right well let's get to it The first gem I want to discuss is the 1992 Peter Jackson horror movie called Dead Alive. It's also called Brain Dead. Um, You'll see both titles if you ever look for this. You just look for the year and that Peter Jackson directed it. And it's a New Zealand film. So lots of the actors are set and from New Zealand and Australia. This was his last film before Heavenly Creatures, which shot him into Hollywood. This is not... Your run-of-the-mill zombie movie. Um, I remember as a kid, I don't know what movie rental place this was, but it was literally like, it almost seemed like somebody's house. Because it were like a library. It was just very basic. But I specifically remember this movie cover. Because it's a woman, and she's opening her mouth, and in her mouth is like a zombie. So, I mean, like, it was a super effective poster to keep you, like, or get lure you in, excuse me. But... That's not really, you know, the cover is way less graphic than the movie really is. It starts out with a crazy looking rat monkey that bites the man who steals him from, it's definitely like across the country, you know, it's across the world. And then they hack him up limb by limb since it looks like he was bitten a few times by this monkey rat. It, this movie is wild. So like, just you wait. If you've never seen it, just you wait. You literally have to see this movie to believe it because it's that graphic. I think they use like 56 gallons of fake blood. I mean, and back in 1992, that was a lot. You know, for the movie It, oof, I can't remember, but Jessica Chastain had to sit through, I think, the most amount of blood that has ever been produced. And I guess it's cold, so I can't imagine trying to film any of this when there's lots of blood on you or everywhere, you know. Anyway, the scene of them hacking this, this... guy's limbs off is literally like the opening scene of the movie it's it's so crazy the monkey rat after this is then of course like kept in a zoo because why wouldn't they leave it out in the public what what could go wrong right what could go wrong then an older woman who's at the zoo is bitten by it when she's like spying on her son and i think his girlfriend or something uh, I definitely saw this for the first time like less than a year ago and I, I meant to watch it again just to fully experience it again before doing this episode but I really didn't have time and it's it's just a silly it's definitely campy it's definitely campy the effects are campy you know how they show you everything is campy but it's I feel like you can't take it seriously and I think the opening scene totally sets that kind of tone. So after the woman is bitten, she actually 
thankfully kills the creature, but not before the movie literally goes off the rails. The old lady then turns into a zombie and then turns other people into zombies. But, like, nobody realizes that that's what's happening, is that if they get bit by her or something, that they're going to turn to a zombie. So it sets the tone that this that this guy, her son that she was spying on, his name's Lionel, that he's going to just, like, hide all these zombies from everybody and keep them in his house. Because that's, that's what you should do. That seems smart. So it's like a zombie-filled house. And then he's, like, trying to live normally. And this is where, like, the movie just gets, like, weird. Weird. It's like Norman Bates meets John of the Dead. You know what I mean? This guy is just all about his mother. And she's a zombie. And then there's other people that are zombies. And he doesn't... I don't know why he doesn't want to get caught. Because I don't... I don't know if he's afraid that they'll just put them out of their misery or something. I don't know. I... It's just such a weird way for this movie to go. He's, like, trying to keep everything under control, you know, but can you, like, control zombies? I mean, this movie is just, it's almost as if, like, Mel Brooks decided to go into horror. Seriously, it's that silly. That silly and, like, self-aware silly sometimes. The effects are so fake, but that's the point, like I said. You'll see some claymation, you'll see some different kinds of effects that you definitely remember from like Beetlejuice and stuff like that. But that's the point. If it were more realistic, I don't think that this movie would have been released. Definitely not. It's 1992. You know what I mean? R-rated back then was much less than it is now. You know, there are parts in this movie that are like generally funny and absurd, you know, and this movie has so much involved in its plot. There's just so many things that he's doing and involving other people in he's trying to like not get his girlfriend involved and hide it but at the same time I don't know I don't it's just such a weird it's it's crazy and like it's really fun but it's really gross so I definitely warn people if you do want to see it I can stomach it because like I said you know it's fake it's not it's mostly blood to be honest it's not really I don't know it's just it's I don't know and and the ending of it has the main character, Lionel, literally lawnmowering over the zombies and like spinning it like, oh my God, it's the craziest ending and it's just like blood. It's almost like the fight scene in Kill Bill when she fights the crazy 88s. I mean, it's just, it's so much blood, except in this movie, it's not black and white. <laughs> you actually do see it all. The reason why he goes after them on a lawnmower is he's just, like, done at this point. He just wants to, like, eliminate the situation and just get out of this. And, like, you know, he uses the the lawnmower and some pretty unique kills. And, like I said, it's silly. It's not... Yeah, it's... uh, This part is definitely more graphic than the rest of the movie. But this is the ending. You know what I mean? This is... It's crazy. The claymation is actually, like, really good um, considering the time period. But I get it that it does look fake for sure. Absolutely. But I'm not surprised that the special effects are good because it's Peter Jackson. It's just a really silly, fun movie. And it's definitely a good, bad movie because the plot is just, eh, you know, like it's just not as, it's just so bizarre. You know what I mean? It's just so bizarre and entertaining. And, you know, I I sometimes wonder like why Peter Jackson stopped doing horror. I think he could have, I think we could have gotten some good material out of him if he had stuck to the genre a little bit or maybe he'll come back I don't know the Hobbit and all that's over come on Peter come back I'm just kidding <laughs> the next one we're going to talk about is Hell House LLC 
But we're not actually going to talk about the first one. So that my and my Instagram post was a tad bit misleading. We're actually going to talk about the second and third one. <laughs> but I have to say this because if I say the second and third, you'll be like, well, don't I need to watch the... Because f- this, this series, I feel like if you're not into horror, you might not know about it. It came out in 2015. I can't remember like where it first came out, but the next two, two and three, came out exclusively on Shudder. And in like 2018 and like 2020 or something like that, it was it was definitely expected to have sequels. You know, the ending kind of doesn't really end like most of these movies kind of found footage films. They don't really end. The only one I felt like ended was As Above, So Below. That was the only one. Anyway, but like I said, the first one is really good. But the first one I have to talk about because then you, you won't understand the other two. And the first one, like I said, a very good found film footage movie. And they have a very good layout of how they're going to tell you the story. The director uses other people's videos from that night to tell you the whole story of like what happened, quote unquote, because that's what this whole like movie is about is this documentary team finding out what happened in Hell House in like 2009 or something like that. So this is a group of people who set up these haunted houses that do this for a living. So you see the group starting out because they're actually filming the whole thing and documentary. And documenting it, excuse me. So it's kind of cool, but it's a little limited. That's the only thing is I don't think that they they show you everything until the second one. They barely speak about how this place was abandoned before they set up this haunted house. And it really builds some great suspense in this movie. They really definitely, there's you know little things that happen throughout that you need to be paying attention on. And there's really, some really good jump scares that are legit and effective. <laughs> You know, and they set up this haunted house, but they're slowly starting to realize that there's something wrong with this place. The clown, the clown. Oh, my God. The creepiest looking fake clown in this movie. They have them like laid out in the basement. And like that's where like the finale of the haunted house is, is they lead you into the basement. And they have the clowns like sitting on the ground lined up against a wall. And the other ones kind of are like mm, bright and whatever. But this one like doesn't have fake hair or I mean, it's in like a clown suit, but it's black and white and he's bald. And I don't know. It's creepy. It's it's not like art the clown creepy, but it's creepy, creepy. Not yeah, not Pennywise creepy, but still like uh. and it's fake. But then it's just like they catch it in the middle of the hall at night when it's supposed to be like a fake thing. Oh my God. It's crazy. It's, it's definitely. And then like it's head turns and it's a very good way to tell that part of the story of the haunting of this hotel, if you will. In the first one, you, like I said, you see them setting it up and some of the people go missing and this guy's just like, fuck it, we're opening. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care. Like, we're opening. And it's kind of weird how possessed he gets with this place. So I'm not sure if that's the lore of... I think that's what it is. And I think that that is what they explained to you in the second two, is he was lured there. Um, and there's a whole big backstory that the second and, or more specifically, the third gets into. But, you know, the first one ends with them setting up for the night and you see the people waiting in line and you see their videos of them going through the haunted house and what's happening. And then all of a sudden everybody's screaming and the basement, like, you don't like, you literally don't see anything except people screaming and freaking out. And then everybody who like set up the haunted house is freaking missing. Like it's so fucking like, it's crazy. So then when you watch it, 
the first one ends with one of the girls still being alive, but nobody knew she was alive. And then come to find out, like, she really wasn't alive. So that's why it builds a great backstory for a second and third. But I think the problem was the direction that they took for the second and third. They tried to cram in so much that it just really didn't. It it took away from it being a horror movie. And that's where I think there's a fine line of the story and how to scare people. Because if there's too much information, people aren't really going to be scared. You know, I don't know. Or you have to do it so like skillfully that it's little pieces. I don't know. I, Anyway, so the second one has very little jump scares, like I was saying. And it feels like this movie is kind of just like a filler. The tone is absolutely different. And you see more and more than the first one. But not necessarily in a good way. The second one is missing the creepy Halloween vibes from the first one. Because you're not you know, reaching up to that fun, to that opening night. You know, it's recordings of people going into Hell House after this um, Hell, Hell House night and having strange encounters, you know. So that was kind of a cool part of the second one was seeing other people go in and whatnot. And, you know, it falls a little flat since a lot of this comes from Mitchell's point of view and you don't really see him a lot in the first one. He's like the camera guy or the sound guy and he's just not a character that's, super involved like I forgot about him and I had to like watch the first one again but the other thing about the second one is it's also set up like a talk show so you're watching them these people discuss this movie excuse me you're watching these people discuss this situation that happened and the mystery and the Abaddon hotel and all that kind of stuff but that also I felt was kind of cool um, not many movies are set in a cut scenario of cutting to a talk show to situations that happened. It didn't feel like a broadcast, but it did. And it I felt like in the beginning I was excited, but it lost its allure because it was like a lot of that. So it just it was better to have kept the that part of being on TV short and somehow grabbed that information that was supposed to be given out in the talk show part and put it differently in the movie it just it was too much so you actually like I said you do find out how Sarah dies and how the other the guy Alex is Sarah's boyfriend and he's the one that's running the show and kind of the leader of everybody in charge and he's the you also find out how he dies and it's it's just like it's cool but I felt like they put that at the end of the movie and it really should have been kind of in the I think it was more at the end yeah and then it really should have been at the beginning or I don't know I just I don't know like I said I just felt like some of it just really should have just been told a tiny bit differently and the other thing is so you actually do get to see a better view of what happened that night and the actual footage like in the basement and throughout the haunted house and it's funny the scare, you know, the clowns lose their scare factor because they're like springing up into life, you know, unlike the first one where you didn't see them move, but all of a sudden they'd be looking around and then look back and his head moved, you know, little things like that. This one, they're like people, they're like frozen and then they're moving. So it's, it was just, I don't know. It wasn't as, that was expected almost. And it just wasn't scary. I wasn't scared, you know, but like I said, there are some things that you get to see from the first one. Well, that weren't in the first one. So that's that's definitely a bonus. This should have left more questions unanswered like the first one. A step up into what this was really all about. But unfortunately, the final step is a huge misstep. 
the story gets complicated with the past that comes out of nowhere and they get like more into what happened at the Abaddon Hotel like in the 40s or whenever when the owner like hung himself and it's just like way too much like this story was just too much it just too much it just became unbelievable just a little too unbelievable the third one was definitely not great it had some like decent characters and I appreciated what they were trying to do with everything and to wrap it up and give you this amazing story. But like I said, it was too much. There was too much involved in the story. It really should have been a little simpler. You know, the third one, it definitely felt good to wrap it up um, as the first one really set the bar high. And, you know, I'm not going into the third one a lot because, like I said, I don't want this episode to get too long but these are totally worth watching. They're all on Shudder. It's absolutely worth it. I have Shudder. If you don't, it's worth it. But check it out and don't be surprised if you like the first one and the second one. You know, the third one, they, you know, second and third, they start out with you wanting to, wanting to like them and just, ugh. you know, for those not being, they're good because they, they wrap up the story, you know, but they're bad because they really, the first one just set the bar way too high, unfortunately. And then, which, you know, a lot of sequels fall flat. So, you know, that happens. Speaking of sequels falling flat, <laughs> the next good bad horror movie we're going to talk about is Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. This came out in 1989. It actually has like a pretty good soundtrack. They just released the Waxwork record vinyl like a few months ago. It's actually already sold out. I'm kind of mad that I didn't snatch that up, but... It, uh, I can literally hear the 80s metal now in that epic opening song. It's, it's, just, it's just really good. It's good. You know, it really seems like from the trailer and from the posters and the title that it would be like bloody fun seeing Jason slash around Manhattan. It has an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Eight. 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 Save the best for last, guys. <laughs> Kane Hodder is Jason in this, so thankfully his character acting isn't what ruined the movie i think the biggest failure is they only filmed in new york for 20 minutes like 20 like the last 20 minutes of the movie and most of it was like in alleys in the sewer like what i guess there was issues filming in the city and cost and i think rights and you know all that baloney that goes into filming you know a notable place most of this movie actually takes place on a boat in crystal lake or a boat, I'm assuming, on the ocean. I don't know how they get from, like, the Crystal Lake area to New York City. So it could be, a, like, a river or something. But the body of water looks pretty big. So I have no idea. I don't, I don't know the geography of New York State. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, it's, you don't, there's just so many questionable things in this. It's, it's funny. Jason is electrocuted back to life by a boat's anchor hitting a power line underwater. <laughs> I mean, these movies are silly. After being taken into the lake by the telekinesis girl's father from part seven and somehow subdued, like he literally came out and like she summoned him. Oh my God. I don't know. Part six could have very easily also been on this list. Not one of my favorites. Not one of my favorites. The kills in this movie are okay. Not great considering it's later in the R-rated game compared to the other Jasons. He kills the kids on the boat one by one, but you don't see anything graphic. You know, he kills one of the girls with her guitar in the, like, boiler room thing, but you just see, like, a slash of blood. Like, you don't see him hit her with it. And then he kills another girl. I don't know. It's just, like, not 
not what you'd expect from an R-rated movie. He somehow gets into the city when some of the kids flee the ship because he's, like, killed everybody. And it's, like, burning or something. It's, like, getting away. They could have done so much more when they were in the city. He didn't even kill the punks when he walked by them. And they were like, hey, man, not even a limb slashed off. (laughs) He only sets his killing sights on the kids from the boat. Like, that's it. It's that's that's the one of the things that I'm like, really? That could have been fun if he just went around, like, killing people. I don't know. No, but seriously, not that I need gore, but I absolutely expect it in an R-rated horror movie, like I said. Like, I I don't need it to be graphic, but when it's R-rated, yeah, that's that's part of what you're going to see. Sorry. Make it PG-13 then. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You find out that the final girl, Rennie, has this deep lake connection with Jason. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, the plot line in this is just, like, such a freaking stretch. I mean, like I said, this is the eighth friday the 13th i guess she like drowns in the same lake that he did in crystal lake when she was a kid and then they trap jason in the sewer or wherever the toxic waste flows apparently in the 80s they were spewing that shit everywhere underground and that's like what everybody thought or they were who knows but yeah they barely get above the toxic waste level and jason is swept away only to be seen as a young boy i don't know a couple minutes later once the sewer level you know toxic waste level goes down it's weird to think from this it goes to Jason goes to hell and you have no idea how the fuck he comes back to life this time. <laughs> Good times in the Friday the 13th movies. But, you know, for for Jason Takes Manhattan, it's plain and simple why this movie is a bad movie. It's the eighth installment. You know, even Jason Goes to Hell isn't really that great. It's a little more entertaining, in my opinion, than this one because her story is so far-fetched of her connection with Jason that you're kind of just like, that's dumb. Like, that just... I don't know. That was a stretch. I mean, it's a good bad because it's Jason. Some of the kills are iconic. You know what I mean? When he kills the girl in the dance floor and he like throws her on the ground. I think that that was a real stunt. And I feel like Kane felt really bad doing that because I watched the documentary on all the documentary on the Nightmare on Elm Street. But I watched the one about the Crystal Lake. You know, it's called the Crystal Lake Memories or something like that. But it's about the Friday the 13th movies. And it's a great documentary, which... We can talk about it in another episode. But, well, that's going to be it for this episode of Good Bad Horror. Are there any others that you guys love to hate? Be sure to check out any of these movies. They are worth the watch. Just don't expect a storyline that makes sense or continues appropriately. Be sure to check me out on Instagram. I post some funny things and you can check out my creepy corner. I try to post some fun memes and... Feel free to, you know, drop me a line and tell me what you want to hear. I definitely want to hear what would interest you guys or if there's something you want to ask me or definitely I'm I'm always willing to answer your questions. Thanks so much for joining me and I'm going to leave you with a quote from George Romero since today is his birthday. My stories are about humans and how they react or fail to react or react stupidly. I'm pointing the finger at us, not the zombies. I try to respect and sympathize with zombies as much as possible. Good night, kids.